and that we love a chat. We love to help and that's a fact. So we have made it our mission to find stuff out. From diagnosis and education, slimming out of your frustration. Chat to folks who've been there too. Collect it together and share it with you. If you know someone we should speak to, send them our way and that's what we'll do. We like to have our sensory natters. You know what? Hello everybody, welcome back to another Sensory Matters show. This is a special episode and today we are joined by Lydia Wilkins who is a freelance journalist along with our usual suspects. So we've got Lorraine and Joel. Hi everyone. Hi. 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 So I'm excited about this discussion because I think it is really interesting. So what we're focusing on today with a bit of Lydia's um, experience and expertise is around whether autistic voices are represented in the media. So let's start with that. Lydia, let's start with you. What's your view? Are they? Um, in short, not really. Um, <laughs> it's throughout, I've only been, if I say practicing for two years, I graduated from my NCTJ back in 2018. I've not met any other reporter who is, if I can use the phrase, out about being on the spectrum. And it's always been sort of, oh, you're female, you are autistic. That's such a rarity. And at times it's almost, it's been a bit like I've been underestimated because people viewed the label first and not me. So whenever I go on, if I went on an assignment and I was interviewing, I don't know, say an author, a best-selling author maybe, and people it would always, in terms of praise, it would always be like, wow, you did that. <laughs> they, the, the, in terms of the representation, however, I can definitely, I agree in the sense that we are not represented because there is hardly any sort of positive coverage. Okay. So you, you, you see a lot of the coverage that you see around autism being quite negative? Yeah, so in terms of news values, if you're in a newsroom and you have a story, it's you're definitely going to go, you're probably going to go with the story that is going to get the most clicks, for instance, if you're online, or the big sort of, the shock headline that's going to sell the most copies, if you think more in terms of local press. Mm -hmm. However, there are stories that are being missed. So in terms of, when you're news gathering, you're not, I would like to think that you don't have an agenda when you're picking stories. Mm -hmm. you, you can't sort of say, oh, I want to portray this person because the paper supports this necessarily. Um, that's a, it's a very old fashioned view that I have, I think. Um, <laughs> but in terms of, before we were recording, we were briefly discussing how Journalism as an industry is not particularly diverse. The National Council for the Training of Journalists has a wonderful survey and it's, I think it's about maybe a hundred pages of research of how they've looked at how to make it more diverse and more accessible. When you have a closeted profession, stories get missed very easily. Mm. So you see, you see, you see it more as a, a symptom of the profession causing a lack of voices and, and the way they're set in their ways, rather than anything else. 
I guess so. It's the thing about the industry that I work in is we're, I would describe it as we're sort of in a transitional stage almost. So we are currently due to the pandemic, we're having to deal with lost print sales and whether I know that a few papers are considering going fully online now because paper is not really a sustainable future. Mm-hmm. But in terms of the newspaper politics, it's sort of there's still argument there's arguments about I should say debate. Um <laughs> there's mm-hmm. the, there's debate about newspaper regulation, there's debates about particular taxes that some papers receive it's transitional it's we're sort of still working out the parameters i think hmm. yeah okay what about you lorraine and joel do, do you see because obviously lydia's got more of an insight being in there um mixing against journalists and, <laughs> and um whereas us as kind of outside observers do, do you agree that autistic voices aren't represented lorraine we'll start with you yeah, well um I was actually thinking more along the lines of stories that are portrayed in the media. So not maybe mm. not autistic voices, but something that Lydia said when we were talking before this about the stories that are in the media. They're always really negative when it comes to autistic people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that's been trending while we've been in lockdown is how difficult it is to be in lockdown with an autistic child. And there's been lots of news stories, especially on Facebook. I've seen them shared a lot. But actually, being autistic and knowing autistic people I know there's a lot of autistic people that are really loving lockdown. Mm-hmm. There's not been any That's... coverage on that. We just look at the, oh, it's so hard, it's so hard. But there's all these people who are like, this is brilliant, I don't have to see anybody, I'm in my house, I can watch Netflix. And I just mm. think, yeah, there's not a balance, there's, there's no balance there. The thing about yeah. that is where we... I understand what you mean. However, from an editor's... I don't know if anyone heard that, I'm so sorry, it's my email account. Um, my computer's very old. Um... In terms of the news story, however, where's the story in someone's on the spectrum and they're loving lockdown and finding it really easy just to play devil's advocate? Well, I think I think what's interesting about that, as I'm listening, and Joel, I'm keen to get your view as well in a minute, is that it, it seems to me, the, is, it, is it that this transpires across anything, not just autistic voices, that the media is just geared up towards negative sensationalized clickbait stories and we as consumers of that are, are almost as guilty in that we click on it and we talk about it and all the rest of it it's you know is it is it is it a mix of the two that is exactly what you're saying is it is a story about is a positive story as exciting as a negative story i would like to think it is but i think you know the way that a lot of people operate it isn't yeah, I mean, I, I'm not good at news stories or writing headlines or anything, but if I saw a headline that said autistic people loving lockdown, I'd want to read that. It would make yeah. me feel empowered. Yes, yeah, absolutely. What about you, John? Well, so I kind of get both sides, but mm-hmm. in terms of if we're going to talk about lockdown and how people are struggling with lockdown, the perfect news story would be an autistic person's tip to dealing with transitions and change. Now mm-hmm. you know how we feel. That's mm-hmm. a clickbaity title enough for people to click on it, but then it also gives representation. Mm-hmm. It's I funny think... you mention that. 
<laughs> I think that um, in terms of negative headlines, it's always going to happen. I think the issue with that is when it comes to a marginalized group or a group that's not well represented anyway, you have, um, I think you have a duty not to demonize them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Whether you do it intentionally or not. Demonize the media, you mean, or demonize the subject? The media demonizing the subject. Yeah. Can I make a context point here? Sure. Um, in terms of the code of conduct, this is good. <laughs> um, in terms of the code of conduct that most newspapers are supposed to follow, um, they are not supposed to include pejorative references. And I, I forget the particular wording of the clause, but it's to do with, you know, the sort of um, race... Um, this shows how out of date my media training is. It's uh, so you're not supposed to include pejorative references to race and other characteristics. Um, I say supposed to because I have noticed a couple of newspapers seem to take it more as guidelines. I would think. Um, okay. It's also funny that you mentioned about Joel. How you mentioned saying the headline could be this is how we feel i did kind of write this for i don't know if you've come across the app timo Pardon? no i don't know if you've come across the app timo it's kind of no. like um it's a app that creates visual timetables for people who are on the spectrum or who have adhd they they sometimes commission pieces for their blog and i was writing about how to deal with the uncertainty surrounding COVID-19 because, oh my God, it is frightening at times. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. So I think, I think we're kind of in conclusion that maybe it's, it's not so much, it's not a thing that is unique to autistic voices. It probably, there are an awful lot of, of groups that feel that their voice is not accurately represented across the media. Yeah. Um, but for our community and what we're talking about, what would we like to see the world look like? What, what, what would be a good representation of it? Uh, Let's go this first. Joel, you go first. For me, just because I'm a massive fan, just more people who are openly autistic in the journalist world, like Laura James, I think um, her pieces do quite a good job in bringing autistic voices to the forefront mm -hmm. yeah. in her articles and just a lot more of that I think okay so it's about having having more representation in the jobs and therefore putting that point of view and content out there because I mean um, a neurotypical person can write the blog but I don't think it would have the same insight and experience as an autistic person writing it? Yeah. No, that's that's got to be true, hasn't it? It's, it's like anything in life. You could have someone write a blog on on driving across Europe that's never done it. And yeah. I'm sure the person that's it would have a much more insight into it. It's, I think, editors should assign articles to that are about autism to autistic people sometimes. So mm -hmm. it's... There was an example a few a few weeks ago. I'm not going to say what newspaper it was for because that's uh, it's not very good etiquette. Um, 
but it was the headband was something like you know the you know kind of like agony aunt collins yeah and it was writing in saying can you tell me what books would explain the world to somebody a child with asperger's Mm -hmm. it's very odd i thought that they had someone who is neurotypical by all accounts explaining what books they would choose Mm-hmm. And yeah. as, far, as far as I understand, they didn't. You, they, from what I can remember, I may be totally wrong about this. They didn't have an autistic child. They didn't have autistic relatives. They weren't on the spectrum. Well, how can someone who's neurotypical choose books to explain to a child what the world is about? Surely it should be from the perspective of someone who is also on the spectrum. Yeah, because I imagine that particular journalist would have just done a Google <laughs> search that the person who was asking could have done themselves. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. But but to be devil's advocate, if I think about um, this morning and what was that lovely agony aunt on there that died? Forgotten her name. That's terrible. Um, do you know the woman? I mean, old lady. I know who you mean with the whitey hair. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and obviously, if you're an agony aunt of every, of any description, you can't possibly have experience or knowledge of everything that people come to you with. So whilst I think in an ideal world, it, 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 you're right, it does make a lot more sense. But, you know, I'm sure Denise, Denise somebody, that's her name. Um, yeah, I'm sure that she's probably had to recommend things for people with all sorts of problems she's never faced the thing about her is they had the agony aunt rotation so each okay. week it's somebody different yeah and also it's... sorry carry on no it's all right it's you go <laughs> also it's different if oh my husband's cheating on me to whatever to if it's actually a disability yeah in yeah. terms of what their uh what they're trying to recommend. Yeah, absolutely. Some, some things work on a Google search and other things don't. Yeah, yeah, that's true. No, fair point. Um, okay, so let us take a quick break. And we've kind of talked about that there's a bit of a lack of a representation, that we would like to see more people in those jobs being the voice who are actually on the spectrum and have experience of it. It would be really nice to explore next how we're gonna how how we could all influence that happening. So we're gonna take a short break and we'll be back in just a minute. Okay, welcome back. So yeah, we were chatting before about autistic voices not being represented and um, that we would like more people in those positions. So what needs to happen? How do we influence it? What needs to change? Lorraine, have you any thoughts? Well, I was just say wondering how many people are in these positions that are actually autistic but have not come out as being autistic because they feel it might affect their job. So you could have journalists out there who are actually autistic but have not come forward to their boss to tell them that they're on the spectrum. That's, that's there are a lot of people who don't disclose that they're autistic and then there's also people out there that don't know they're autistic who might be autistic who are doing that job yeah Lydia what about you I mean you must have some experience of this you chose to disclose um, <laughs> what, what gave you the the confidence or freedom to be able to do that um 
that's a very <laughs> it's a very weighted question um the thing about my personal diagnosis is sometimes I find it a lot easier if people know that I'm on the spectrum rather than having to explain all the time mm-hmm. so when I was first diagnosed everything that was sort of textbook happened so a few people were sort of freaked out somewhere and just sort of like okay it just describes you and but in terms of disclosing in terms of disclosing when I've been working with people the it's almost like the reactions have fallen into two categories when I've disclosed so in my email signature I have that I have a blog about autism Mm-hmm. And a couple of times, editors have been really curious about this, and they've asked me, what does it mean when you say autism blogger? What do you do exactly? And I've had pieces commissioned off the back of that. Yeah. But, but when it, in terms of employability, however, I found that not many people understand, truth be told. And when I've had to disclose, it's always been me who's had to spend time explaining exactly what it is what my particular diagnosis means to give you an example i went for last year i had an interview at i'm not going to name names it's a magazine and it's sort of high-end very glossy sort of thing Mm -hmm. and prior to that i'd asked what is your disclosure policy in terms of disability and it I I had to disclose on the day and this came about because in terms of if you ask me a question sometimes I don't intend to do it but sometimes I can't necessarily filter what I think Mm -hmm. I've learned to be better as I've gotten older however there are some moments where people have sort of they've not really realized what they're asking me so if you, my friend always jokes that she likes to take me shopping, for instance, mm. because I always say exactly what she says. Like, she would ask me a question and say, Does my behind look big in this skirt? And I would say, Yes, it does. <laughs> um, but at this interview, I had to explain because the woman had asked, What do you think about our website? And, mm. I, and I remember thinking, It's really it's an awful website because they had so many adverts like it was they had a constantly changing image as the background to the web page the most most of the stories that they had on the landing page were about Gemma Collins right if you go on a website you don't just want to read about one person you want to read lots of different stories and you may not even necessarily like what Gemma Collins is doing for instance Mm-hmm. So it, and I th- I remember saying at at that point, are you sure you want to be asking me this question? I'm on the spectrum, and sometimes I have trouble filtering what I say. Mm-hmm. And she said, and she sort of shrugged and said, "Okay, go on." I said exactly what I thought, saying mm-hmm. that the website could be improved, and I don't want to see just stories about Jeremy Collins because she's not interesting to me that interview worked really well because for the last five minutes of it we just spent kind of gossiping and being am i allowed to say this bitching no Mm -hmm. 
was bitching about Gemma Collins and the, the sort of stories that she'd had in it. It was um, it was the around the time that she had been filmed scratching somewhere unsavoury and saying that it smelt of bread. Oh God! I don't we Gemma Collins, so I don't know. <laughs> it's a, we that interview worked really well because it was very simple and she was just saw me as the candidate. That's an example of a rarity. In other interviews I've gone into, they it's sort of when people explain things to me, I need it to be very concise. Yeah. If it's if I don't understand you, I would ask you to rephrase the question. If it's I find open questions sometimes a bit difficult to understand. Yeah. If it's what would you like for lunch today? Just as a really simplistic example. Mm. That that's actually a question that previously I would have found difficult. Whereas, would you like a cheese sandwich? Is it yes or no? And I can decide it quickly. Mm-hmm. Whereas in other profession, in other interviews, I've gone into it, and it's always been really interesting. As soon as I've said I'm on the spectrum, it's like a shutter comes down. They, it's the the face changes. Yeah. And it's always whenever I ask to rephrase a question, they're on. It's they never do it. They just repeat verbatim exactly well, the same, but they always do it in a, you know, the it's the tone of voice. So you go, "This is how I'm going to talk to you, like you are a child, but I'm yeah. going to say it louder because I believe you are hard of hearing, and that way you will understand me better, even though I can understand you perfectly. I just need you to re- rearrange the order of the words." Yeah. Job interviews are inaccessible, and rather than just uh, it's. From my perspective, I don't understand why you would have an interview for a job because surely you want to know who can do the job. So why wouldn't you want to see them physically carrying out the duties that the job description have? Yeah. So if you're in a newsroom, why don't you just have, you know, say, a writing test for an hour and say, okay, we want you to find whatever sort of story. Go and find it and file file it by the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I completely agree. In fact, my husband and I were chatting last night about with all the Black Lives Matter stuff. And um, I think, oh, God, what was it? What was on the news about a certain percentage of interviews now had to include BMAE people for a certain sector? I can't remember what it is. Um, and we were saying that it's that in itself just, for me, causes more division. It should just be that people apply for the job regardless, you know, the right person with the right skills. But then we're on about how people do judge and people do have stereotypes and opinions. So we were talking about over lockdown, how everyone's got much more into Zoom. So if you could submit a CV that had no information about your age, your gender or your ethnicity or anything like that, and you conducted your Zoom meeting with the potato head... (laughs) filter so that every person that you're talking to looks exactly the same that way it would take away all of that opportunity to unconsciously judge people and make a decision based on a person's ability but I I think I'm with you in terms of task orientated interviews related to the job make so much more sense don't they I also yeah I also think in terms of questions as well that they can 
some employees, employers, sorry, that I've come across have designed the questions in interviews to deliberately trip people up. Mm-hmm. So the the reason I didn't get the interview for the magazine I mentioned a few minutes ago was because apparently I haven't had enough experience in terms of news. So when we think of newspapers, we have the opinion section. That's where you write your common pieces say, I think this because I am such and such a person. The news is the reporting of the day. So live from Westminster, Dominic Cummings or Boris Johnson said this at the daily briefing. But the thing about that is she had sort of, in the interview, that was the one question I hadn't answered particularly well because I hadn't been expecting it. Mm-hmm. I have experience working for six, seven different newspapers in terms of work experience, and I've contributed far more as a freelancer. I am, it sounds arrogant for me to say this, but I am well qualified for a position like that. It's mm-hmm. my, my neurotypical peers who were in the same class as I was have gone into places at a national level. Mm. And okay. it's sort of like she, that question was designed to deliberately trip me up. It was, I didn't have a portfolio in front of me, so mm-hmm. I couldn't show her the particular clippings. And I was sort of, it's that moment of, I've not scripted this question. I didn't expect that. I don't know what to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes sense. So so for you, the, the, the how is changing the interview process and being a bit more flexible with it. Yeah, as well as I think it's... <laughs> how do I put this? Um, in terms of funding for news, news is... It's going online. Local newspapers are really struggling. And I think that has an impact in terms of the next generation of reporters, editors who come up through the ranks. If you had, if you were a reporter in the 60s, 70s, maybe, you would have gone to your local paper and then you would have worked your way up. Yeah. It's not necessarily like that anymore. Mm -hmm. And I think what comes with that is there isn't really an investment in the next generation because quite literally you don't have the funding it's very rare for somebody to it's rare to just go to a local paper be offered a job now all the positions are closed there's very often no position coming up yeah interesting and what about you um joel have you got any thoughts on on what needs to happen to make a difference uh Without going into my whole speech about autism knowledge, awareness, and acceptance, not really. <laughs> but I don't okay. think we have the time for that right now. <laughs> All right, well, let me ask you this one, though, because I know it's one that you feel strongly about. Why is it important? Why is it important that autistic voices are, are represented in the media? Okay, so this comes up to another question I was going to actually pose to you guys. So, mm-hmm. is it that when the news gives negative representation to autistic people or other groups Mm -hmm. does that then affect the way that they're portrayed on tv books uh films whatever it can Mm -hmm. do or is it the other way around and is that where do we start with that Mm, that's like the chicken and the egg isn't it i think that's both to be honest um 
in terms of if you're writing a script for a film, say, to, to, to be really simplistic, say I was writing a script for Rain Man, yeah. mm-hmm. as if Rain Man had never happened, where would you go if you had no reference point? If you had no real context of what autism is, well, you would go to newspapers, you would look at YouTube videos, maybe, you might even go to a library. There is a wealth of information out there. However, if it's, in terms of, if it's a rush job, so the script has to be turned around quickly, and it has to be at the particular deadline and you've only got maybe two three days whatever you Mm. don't necessarily have the time to go and find the nuance you don't have the it's i i met this wonderful bbc journalist and she has a wonderful phrase it's almost like you have the pizza dough and you've not needed it to make it rise and you don't have the meat and you don't have the juicy bits of the pizza yeah you don't have the time to make the pizza rise Mm -hmm. yeah News is a 24-hour cycle now, so to bring it back to the topic of the podcast, um, we have a 24-hour rolling news cycle. We don't necessarily have the time now to pick up the nuance, I think. Um, I think that kind of answers my question about why um, it's in- representation is important. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. if... Sorry, one sec. Uh, if the general consensus and general knowledge about autism is there. Mm. This kind of stuff won't happen because it's there. People just know it. Yeah. So this is um, when we met Talia Grant at the National Diversity Awards. Yeah. And she plays an autistic character on Hollyoaks. And we got chatting to her actually in the loo, didn't we, Jenny? We did. Um, (laughs) Because she was trying to avoid people. Um, But when we were chatting, she was telling us about how great the, the show is and how they ask for her opinions on things and they find things out from her mm-hmm. because she's That's amazing. playing an autistic character and and the, what she was telling me it just sounded fantastic and then I don't know if you saw a couple of weeks ago there was a casting um going around for, on Facebook for, for a, the BBC yeah yeah for um they were looking for an autistic actress to play somebody in the 20s yeah I did yep. see that yeah yeah, which is awesome. Which is good. Yeah, it just I think it... we just need to see more of this. And then yeah. on the other side, which I'm kind of wary about, did you see that advert? I can't remember which channel it was for, but they're doing a kind of like a autistic dating show. Oh god. And yes. I'm like, this is either gonna be really good but most likely really bad. Yeah, oh. I did see something <laughs> and I thought that's not something I would want to watch. It kind yeah. of it kind of reminds me of the undateables, which I know a lot of people love, but I, I hate it. I kind of find it a bit like it's a bit like it's bear baiting. Yes, yeah, it feels a bit cruel to me. I mean, you would would a show like that ever exist if it was? Um, let's do a black people's dating show, or a wheelchair people's dating show, or blind people's dating show. It it just it just it's the same thing to me. It just doesn't sit. Right. If you take out the characteristic, if you, I saw this as an approach in terms of media projects, I saw this amazing quote on Instagram last night, if you replace the characteristic as you're describing, Mm -hmm. 
would it be right? So, in terms of this is a you were saying this is a show for people who use a wheelchair, well, mm-hmm. or people who are from the LGBTQIA plus community. That if you replace the characteristic, it wouldn't be right. It would sit. It's almost like, it's almost like it sits, in your stomach as something that that's like, it's unpalatable and it makes your stomach feel really quite uh, about it. It's not something you want to get on board with. Yeah, that's a good rule. I was having a conversation. I won't say who with in case they're listening. <laughs> but um, <laughs> it was basically about Jamie's future because Jamie's going to be seventeen this year and. Yeah has not experienced things that a lot of 17 year olds have experienced at this point in life. So I was like mm. thinking about the future, chatting about the future. And this particular person said to me, yeah, but it'll be okay because there was that guy on the undateables who was Asperger's and, and they got a date. And oh. Like, oh my God. Have you really just said that? Yeah. It's, I have a friend who I need to, okay. I'm going to be polite about this. Um, <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> He has um, he asks me constantly about Greta Thunberg. Okay. But it's in pretty much since she was in the UK last year, pretty much every conversation I've had with this person revolves around Greta Thunberg. So if we're having a heart to heart on whatever possible topic it could be, he always it's almost like he's saying, "Oh, but look at Greta Thunberg. She is." He used the he used the term worse than you. Oh, not good. I uh, and I just I immediately corrected that saying um I don't think functioning labels should be a thing and the fact that you're saying worse is indicative possibly of your attitude yeah. and it's sort of like comparing saying. You... But then I do think with things like that people it's careless and it's thoughtless. They often don't mean it the way it sounds. Doesn't make it right. But if there was, let's bring this all back. If there was positive representation in the media, um, yes, <laughs> then autistic people will. I'm gonna regret using this word, but you guys will know what I mean. If autistic people were in quotes normalized, mm-hmm. the same way that other people on TV are normalized, and yeah, it then became kind of like a trope where it's done so much that you're just like oh look another autistic person okay sort of thing then Mm. this kind of stuff wouldn't happen because it's just so talked about and so normal that we're just there in the lexicon we're not looked at like the other we're just looked at like everyone else Hello, if you like vibrations, if you need that soothing sensation of travel and movement and motion and the car just makes you so sleepy and you love it, then Zed is the tool for you. He has several different functions and speeds of vibration that mimic the motion and sensation of being in a travelling vehicle, plus a handy nightlight. So even if you just want to hold him for sensory input or use him to get to sleep, Zed, we think, is awesome. Yeah, that makes sense. That I does like, make sense. I like that you say that, Joel, simply because um, from my perspective, sometimes I've been treated as if I'm some sort of 
super genius or like I'm out of the ordinary where I'm literally just like everyone else I just struggle with it at times um I guess I like the fact that you picked up on the as you say quotes normalized um I was doing some research for a former editor and he has a book coming out in September mm-hmm. and I had to watch a load of footage of older Fleet Street editors it's interesting to me that one of them did use the phrase um Asperger's victim. And I could put, I would bet anyone a reasonable amount of money that he's never actually met someone who's on the spectrum and actually meaningfully engaged rather than just seeing them as this oddity that I just have to, like, you know, deal with. Yeah, so I think I think you're right, Joel. To tie it to tie it back, it is if if we can crack this autistic voices, autistic representation in the media, then all of these things for everyone just become a bit easier and using quote marks normalized. Um, so yeah, fascinating. Like, could yeah. you imagine if they if stimming became normalized? Yeah. That would like, be amazing. If stimming wasn't something that these people just do, but it turns into actually it can help you as well. Yeah. I actually had to explain to a friend of mine what stimming was the other day. So she sees me as a reporter and she's we get together often to so it's kind of like what has Lydia been doing this week in the world of journalism sort of thing. Um <laughs> But the thing is, so I met her through work experience while I was at college and Mm -hmm. I had to fill out various forms saying I'm on the autistic spectrum. This is how my autism manifests itself, that kind of thing. So I thought she knew that I was on the spectrum and I had to explain to her what stimming was because I'd shown her an article and she didn't know I was autistic. Mm hmm. And she described me having not known what stim was as sometimes you do look like a plane that's about to take off. (laughs) (laughs) Stimming would be amazing if it was... I'd prefer... I'd try to correct myself and use the term conventionalised or if it became conventional. Rather than... I see people who are immediately treated as if they're acting suspiciously by police Mm -hmm. I carry a disclosure card and for anyone who's listening um if you're in the UK there's most constabularies actually have a scheme where you can sign up to your local police force and you can register saying that you're on the autistic spectrum they give you a card and personal pin number and they keep your details so if you're ever stopped or if you're involved or you just come across a police officer for whatever reason, you could say, I'm on the spectrum, call the station with this pin. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, we, that. we have them here, and it's also useful because then they can get a police officer that is trained in autism because yeah. police yeah. officers are more trained to deal with people, say, if you're giving a statement. Yeah. I'm it's, saying that yeah. because my, my husband's a police officer and he's actually trained to higher levels because of that that's amazing though so so if you go into a police station and you're autistic and you struggle especially with communication you don't want to just speak to anybody you want to speak to somebody that understands Mm -hmm. yeah yeah makes sense 
Right, let's wrap this up then. I could talk about it all day. Um, really, really, really fascinating. I also think we should maybe do one on on make, making stimming part of everyday life and what the world would look like. I think that could be a really interesting conversation. Please yeah. do. That would be amazing. It's I, I was originally told that I don't stim, but as I've gotten older from my diagno- from point of diagnosis, I've realised that I do sometimes wrap my hands and people tend not to look at me particularly well because of this but they don't understand because of my diagnosis so I would love it I actually I'm actually subscribed to this podcast and I would really really like it if that was a topic that you explored yeah Yeah, I think I think it's definitely on the list we should look at that um, so all that remains to be said, Lydia, is thank you very much. Really, really fascinating. If you want to go and check out Lydia's work as well, you can. Her website is mademoisellewomen.com and you can find her on Instagram as well at, I always get it the wrong way around, is it journal Lydia or Lydia Journal? It's journal underscore Lydia. Um, it's, can I also just say one last thing? Sure. Um, since the pandemic began and the lockdown situation happened people who are on the spectrum have been really quite badly impacted so there's stories of people not being able to access food for instance um because we're not on the vulnerable list i have started a newsletter and i am trying to expand it and i have a donation spot so from this i am aiming to pay autistic people to write and or illustrate this newsletter it's once a week it's free to sign up and you can read all the previous editions mm-hmm. it would be wonderful if anyone listening to this could subscribe maybe donate um i have commissioned so far one artist her i forget her name but she produces under the title of aspie bun it's a comic in the it's an autistic bunny okay it would be wonderful if anyone listening could come subscribe explore you can find if you're exploring my instagram feed for instance it's all linked up in my bio but yes please come read okay thank you yeah that would be great so yeah mademoiselle.mademoiselle.women.com or um journal underscore lydia thank you yes so thank you very much for your time and thanks everyone that's been a really interesting discussion Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. You know what?